As lead pastor, I have a, a, a really a privilege to um, serve in, in many different ways, but one of the ways uh, getting together with men and walking together with them um, as, they walk, as we walk together, really. And um, preaching is, is, is one of those things I just love to do and, and love to give opportunity to other uh, pastors and, and preachers. And um, it's just a joy of mine to see um, men serve God that way, proclaiming his word, uh, loving him. And uh, I met a, a, a young man. I call him young because he's only about, I think, maybe a year or two younger than me. But So we'll call him young man. Um, about 20, over 20 years ago. And uh, I was a pastor for a couple of years at Cornerstone in um, East Durham. His, I know his wife, Jen, his kids, Macy and Frankie, and uh, Frank and I, which is the one who's going to come and share the word, has been a brother over 20 years walking together. And um, I'm really looking forward as God uh, not only used him to play bass guitar, which is a really good bass player, um, but to share the word of God with us. So Frankie, come on up, Frank. We've been in the Gospel of John for a long time. We're going to be in it for a long time to come. We're going to open up our scripture today is John chapter 16, starting with verse 16 to 24. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said amongst themselves... What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We, we do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me again. A little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have not asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Father, we've just heard your word, and I pray that you would teach us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher here. Father, we just want to glorify you in Christ in all that is said and done in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We began in this upper room where the disciples are eight weeks ago. This is the ninth week that we are in the upper room. As Pastor Lou taught us, chapters 1 through 12 take place about three years, and it's the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Chapters 13 through 17 are the Lord's final days. For weeks, we have been in the upper room. But for the disciples, it's only been a few hours. Only a few hours since Jesus, knowing he was soon to depart from this world to the Father, loved his own 
who were in the world, and he loved them till the end. Only a few hours since supper, when Jesus announced that one of the twelve would betray him, all of them look at one another perplexed about whom he spoke, and Jesus having dipped the bread, and I believe that he dipped the bread in the bitter herbs, which is a reminder of the slavery to sin, and then gave it to Judas. He, Satan entered him, and Jesus said, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to them. It's only been a few hours since Jesus, the Lord of glory, donned an apron and began to wash his disciples' feet. Besides the small argument from Peter, it was apparent that they were a little confused about this too. Jesus says, Do you not know what I have done to you? Jesus says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It's only been a few hours since Jesus said the first time in the upper room, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, Where I am going, you cannot come. So a new commandment I give you, love one another. Peter confused and the spokesman of the band, obviously feeling the loss and abandonment, said, Lord, where are you going? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, no, you will deny me. Only a few hours since Jesus taught them to believe in God and believe in him, and that he was preparing a place for them, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, his disciples are confused, and Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, and listen to it today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Only a few hours since Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father, and from now on you do know him because you've seen him. Again, confused Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Only a few hours since Jesus first introduced them to praying in his name, John chapter 14 through 13, that great works will be done by them, the disciples, and us, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Only a few hours since the promise not to leave them orphans by abiding in the Helper and the Spirit of Truth would come and dwell with them and in them. The promise of Jesus to manifest himself, to reveal, to make visible himself to those who love him and obey his commandments. Judas, not Iscariot, obviously confused, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, but not the world? Only a few hours since his teaching on abiding in him, abiding in Christ, and being fruitful in obedience, fruit that comes from loving Christ, obedience that comes from loving Christ, glory that comes from loving Christ, and abiding and remaining in Christ's love would give them joy that would remain, and that joy would be full. Only a few hours since learning the world was going to hate them, Pastor Lou spoke last week, and that they would be thrown out of the synagogues, and that they would even be killed because of Jesus. 
but that the ministry of the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, would guide them through it all. But the disciples are not at all sure what's going to happen next. They don't have that joy yet that Jesus promised. This morning we're going to look at this text in three points. That confusion steals joy, and they were aptly confused. And I would grant that some of us in the last eight, going on nine weeks, are pretty much confused too. That sorrow turns into joy, and that prayer increases joy. So let's begin. Jesus clearly says in in John chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, Now I go to him who sent me, the Father, and none of you ask where you are going, although we just heard Peter ask. But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So now in our text, Jesus stops teaching. He was teaching about the Spirit and how he was going to come. He stops that and starts teaching them about his departure. In our text, does the first little while that Jesus is talking about mean Jesus' death or his ascension? Does the you will see me after the second little while refer to Jesus' resurrection, Pentecost, and the coming of the Holy Spirit? Or his second coming, referred to in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Clearly, the first little while Jesus is speaking of is Jesus' separation from the disciples because of his death on the cross, the crucifixion. But they don't know that. Jesus does. But they don't know. They, they've heard him say it numerous times, but they've heard him say a lot of things that just haven't got in. Jesus said, I shall be with you a little while longer, and I shall go to him who sent me. He also said, therefore, that my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself, and I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. They heard that, but they didn't hear it. They're confused. Later in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 36, when Jesus said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, clearly speaking of his death, he says, And I, if I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So the disciples are hearing it, but I don't think they, they want to believe it. I don't think they, they want to know that their Lord, their teacher, is going to no longer be with them. Then Jesus said, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Over and over they have heard Jesus warning them, telling them, trying to, trying to let them know that he was going to die. But they didn't hear So the second little while, a little while you won't see me, and then in a little while you will see me again, is clearly a reference to the resurrection. Again, they don't know. We we are looking at this 2,000 years in hindsight. The disciples, only a few hours ago, were eating with Judas. They still don't even know where he went. So we have to give them a little space to understand that this mystery, as Paul calls it, was a mystery to them. It's not to us. So let's give them a little break. So then the second little while is a reference to the resurrection, 
and his appearance to them. Jesus clearly sees his death, burial, and resurrection as a whole event. He, he sees the whole thing that's going to take place. But to them, they're just confused and afraid that the one that they've known for these last three and a half years, the one that they believe to be the Messiah, is going to die. They don't have the theology to grasp and understand a Messiah who would die, rise from the dead, and abandon them and send them a helper. They, they, don't, they don't have that. They have the words, but they don't have the theology. Remember, too, again, in this upper room, for um, we've been in this upper room and we've been in John's Gospel for quite a long time, um, a couple months, I think we've been in it. But to them, again, in this, just these few hours that are passing by, next to the sacred name Father, no other word was more often on the lips of Jesus than kingdom. Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Uh, John the Baptist came, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Over and over again, over 120 times in the Synoptic Gospels, does Jesus teach on the kingdom. Over 30 different occasions in the life and the ministry of Jesus is, is, is Jesus teaching the kingdom. In fact, the parables that Jesus taught, five of the parables are on the beginning of the kingdom, five of them are on the growth and the principles of the kingdom, and seven of them are on the consummation of the kingdom. So for three and a half years, they are getting the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, how to pray the kingdom, how to, how to live in the kingdom, how to be a servant of the kingdom, realizing that Jesus is the king. And then Jesus says, in a little while, I'm going to the Father. And I'm going to leave you. But I'll, I'll send you a helper. Can you, can you feel what they were feeling? They were, they were totally confused. He was going away, but what about the kingdom? How is it all going to happen? If he's going to set up a kingdom, why is he going to die? If he's going to be the king, then why is he leaving and sending us someone else? He's the king. This jumped out at me even more in this passage in Acts, and we did the book of Acts a while back. When the resurrected Christ is with them, he comes to them where the disciples are gathered, and he starts to tell them again about the spirit that was going to be poured out on them so that they could be sent and go preach the gospel. The first question that they ask him is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were, they were kingdom-minded and could not grasp the crucifixion, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of the Lord of glory. Deeply they were confused. Deeply they were confused about the words of Jesus, and it stole their joy. They, they didn't have that joy that Jesus said would remain in them. They didn't have it at all. And they were sorrowful that he was going away. Our second point is our sorrow turns into joy. Their sorrow. And they're sorrowful over two different things. One, Jesus has said he was going away. They, they are most sorrowful over that. 
But there are also some things that Jesus said to them that made them sorrowful. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, but they inquired among themselves. I want to say to you, (laughs) we need to take that as an example. Next time you're confused or sorrowful, don't go among yourself. Go to Jesus first. But in this point, they they didn't. They went to themselves. Jesus begins to teach them. The disciples are sorrowful now that their master, the Lord, their teacher is going away. But think about it. Again, think about it. These men, three plus years ago, Peter went home to his wife. And he said, honey, I found the Messiah. I'm going to follow him. And she said, okay, what about us? Well, I, I found the Messiah. I have, I have to go. And then there was that time where, where James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Three and a half years ago, remember? They're all fishing. They're fishermen. they got a big fishing business. And James and John go home to their father, and they say, Dad, we found the Messiah. We're going to go follow him. What about the business? What about the family business? We found the Messiah. we got to go. And the scripture said that they forsook all and followed him. Do you feel their sorrow? Again, we're just a few hours in the upper room. What we're talking about, three and a half years, these men left everything. Everything. They forsook all and followed him. And now he says, I'm leaving. I'm going. Where I'm going, you cannot come now. Can you feel their pain? Can you, you can understand their sorrow. Their messianic expectations were shattered by the words of Jesus, I'm going to the Father. They could not understand, and I don't think some of us can understand what that all meant. But not only that, they were sorrowful over that, but they were also sorrowful because the world was going to hate them. They were going to put them out of the synagogue. They were going to possibly kill them. John chapter 16, verse 6, Because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart, do you think? <laughs> the, the synagogue was that was a normal Jewish life. You went to the synagogue. Now they're going to put us out? And we've been ministering all over, and, and now they're going, to hate, they're going to hate us? Three years, every town they went to, people literally came out of the woodwork to see Jesus. They didn't go to see them, but they came to see Jesus. Just like you're not here to see me, you're here to see Jesus today. Literally, they came out of the woodwork to see Jesus. And, and very f- factly, one time they took out on the guy's roof just to get a front row seat with Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. They got invited to weddings. They got invited to dinners. In fact, just a, just a week ago, people laid down palm branches in their own coats and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. But when Jesus leaves, they're now going to be hated and outcasts. I'd be a little sorrowful over that. In verse 20, Jesus replies to their need rather than specifically to their question. Their sorrow will not be replaced by joy, but it will become their joy. Let me say that again. Jesus replies to their need rather than specifically to their question. Their sorrow will not be replaced by joy. It will become the joy. The cross 
will cause their sorrow, but it will become their joy. I, I hope, I hope that here today, that someone in this room, that's going to be a reality for you. That you're going to be sorrowful over the fact that you have sinned against the holy God and that you'll repent because Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. And then the thing that caused you sorrow, your sin, and the cross that caused Jesus pain and separation from the Father will then be your joy. I hope that happens today. Shouldn't all of our stories be that way? Where the, the pain and the sorrow of our sin then led us to the cross, to Jesus, and now that's our joy. It's what we sing about. It's what we pray about. It's what we preach. Our lives should be that way. In this passage also, Jesus gives them an analogy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has come into the world. The image of a woman in labor is used over and over again in scriptures. The prophets all use it. And it's always, not always, but most frequently speaking of the coming of the king, the end time coming of the king. And Jesus uses it here too. There are two verses I want to give you. I don't want you to look them up because I really don't have time. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 17 through 19. These guys that take notes. And Micah chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. You can look them up on your own. The world will rejoice, but you will be sorrowful. Imagine what what the disciples, again, were were feeling that you're going away and the the world is going to rejoice. Again, they they don't know. They, They don't know any of this is going to happen. But Jesus knows. He knows the crowds that sought the miracles and the bread will soon be crying, crucify him. He saw the soldiers twist a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him and mock him. Hail, King of the Jews. He saw that. And the world today still rejoices that Jesus is dead, so they say, because he has not revealed himself to them. It says the world will rejoice. Paul put it very simply in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Speaking of the cross. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's a mystery. And the disciples were, were sorrowful, and the world did rejoice. The analogy of the child um, birth and the pains that Jesus spoke of is because the death of Jesus, the cross, is going to usher in a new reality, a, a new creation. Um, there will be a new covenant filled with redemption, forgiveness, Reconciliation, all those big words, propitiation, justification. There will be new birth and new life. The cross ushers in a new birth of a new world that Jesus is the king of. Verse 22, 
Therefore you now have sorrow, Jesus says, but I will see you again. He doesn't say like he had said in the past, a little while you will see me, and then again a little while you will see me. But in verse 22 he says, Therefore you will now have sorrow, but I will see you again. The change is expected from the expected you will see me again to Jesus says, I will see you again. And that thought is analogous to John chapter 15, verses 16, when Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Also, in Galatians, Paul says, but now that you know God, or are rather known by God, it's much more important for us that God sees us than we see him. Blessed are they who have not seen, yet believe, but I want God to see me. And in fact, we sing, our, one, of our, one of our favorite songs that we sing is, I Cling to Christ. It is more than I can do to keep my hold on you, but all my hope and peace is that you cling to me. I will see you again. And that Jesus that was in the upper room and had not had the sin of the world put on his shoulders, my sin and your sin, That Jesus that died and was buried and resurrected was a different Jesus that they would be seeing. The same Jesus, but a different Jesus. You will see me again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. There's a great verse, and it's long, but I have to read it. Again, I said, you know, these, the birth pains and And all of that were spoken of by the prophets. And there's a great verse in Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord. That's what he says. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Listen to this and what we've just talked about and what we've read. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of the noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall I bring the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says the God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. Listen. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her sides, and you shall be carried, and be dandled on her knees, as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice. And your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. The birth pains that Jesus used, if you listen to that prophecy, 
all that Israel was going to go through. And the consummation of the ages is in there, and it's all wrapped up in the Messiah, the, the conquering king, Messiah. Even the Jews, when they read the Scriptures, did not see the suffering servant that is so um, overwhelmingly portrayed from the prophets. They always thought of themselves as the suffering servant, and not that the Christ, the Messiah, would also be the suffering servant. So you can see how the disciples kind of missed this. A little while, and they will see the resurrected Jesus and start to believe. This is jumping way ahead, but it's part of our text. Jesus brought it up, so I have to. They're not there yet. But Jesus says, when you see me, that joy no one will take from you. And it didn't happen right away. You can go through the, the accounts of Jesus appearing to the disciples. They didn't get it. You know, they're not the swiftest kids on the block. They didn't get it right away, but they started to get it. Listen to this. When all the disciples had told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, he did not believe. Unless I see his hands and his side and put my fingers in the nail holes, I won't believe. But eight days later, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and put it here in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas believed and with joy overflowing saw Jesus. No, he really saw Jesus for the first time. And fell down and cried out, My Lord and my God. Some of us, me, we need to see Jesus as that. My Lord and my God. Where the reality of that burns away every dross that's in our life. That we may live, love, and serve, worship Him. This is what began on Resurrection Sunday. And that joy would not be taken away, but it was only the beginning. Jesus says to them, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And until now you have asked me nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In that day is a very important part of that passage. In that day when they see him post-resurrection, down by the sea when, just, uh, when Jesus made them breakfast, what, what's in that day? I believe that in that day refers to Pentecost. In that day refers to the time where <laughs> the Spirit is going to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus said, and they will, they will get it. They won't get it perfectly, but they got it. They got the Spirit, and they knew what they needed to do. In that day refers to the last days, to the end of the age. And Jesus is referring to the period after his resurrection as the end of history. Dear children, this is the last hour, he said in John chapter 14, verse 20. Pastor Lewis said that you don't have to wonder if we are in the last days. Since Good Friday, it has been the last days. We are in the last days. No need for predictions. No need to wonder. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. 
Jesus can come back at any time. The writer of Hebrews put it, puts it this way, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son. I can't stop there. The passage is too good. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. We are in the end days, but we have a king who is on the throne. In that day, after Jesus had risen and ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, they will pray in his name. Now again, the disciples were raised in the temple times. Jesus said to him, and it's not the first time he said it, we've gone over it um, in John already, that they would pray to the Father. Well, you know what? They had seen Jesus doing that. They had seen Jesus doing a lot. In fact, they knew the places where he prayed because he would often go by himself and pray. But they were brought up in the temple days when there was, when there was priests and offering. You just didn't stroll up to God. You had to stroll up to God on feast days and fast days. And you had to stroll up to God with the correct offering, the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the blood of the Lamb on Passover. There was just no, no going directly to God. You had to go through the priest. God was unapproachable without the offerings and the blood. Amen? God is still unapproachable without the blood, blood, the blood of Jesus. Now Christ has made access to the Father. After the cross, his burial, his, burial, his death, his resurrection, the ascension, there is, there is the privilege and the access for us to go directly to the Father, unheard of before to the Jews. And in fact, if that Jesus called Jesus his Father kind of offended them. Listen to this. I, I want you to hear how that access was made. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth, until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Did you hear that? That's how your access to the Father was made. It was made by the cross. It was made by the Savior taking the sins of the world. When that veil was ripped, it was finished. And now we can go to God. We can call him Father. And we can ask him, Jesus said, those things, and he will give them to us. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus said, yes, 
we are going to do greater works because he was going to the Father, and that whatever we ask in his name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But our, our prayers are controlled, compelled by the character, the will, the purpose of Christ. This is, this is not, we got free access to Santa Claus. That we can, we can go to God and He'll give us whatever we want. This isn't like me and my wife, <laughs> as we sit in bed on Sunday mornings, we see this one, and I don't know who he is, but this one pastor that I have not heard a message that he was not talking about seed faith and how some Dallas cowboy gave $1,000 and the next week he got $1 million in the mail. You know, it's, it's, that's not our access. Our access to the Father is so that the Father may be glorified. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, I hate to say who art, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing Jesus wanted us to know that God's name, when we're praying, God's name should be glorified. And our prayers should take on the fact that we want to glorify God the Father. We want to glorify Christ. We want to hallow His name. We want it to be hallowed. We want His will to be done on earth as it certainly is in heaven. That's the premise. That's the basis. That's the access of praying in Jesus' name. It's not for whatever we want on earth. It's for God's glory. For the things that He wants done to be accomplished. That's the access. For us to have Christ's joy, that joy that when we ask and, and we will have joy, we also have to have the mind of Christ. Because we can ask for a lot of things that won't bring us joy. We can, we can ultimately ask for a lot of things that aren't part of what God's plan is. But for us to have Christ's joy and for it to remain in us and for our joy to be full, we have to have the mind of Christ. Christ Jesus, because of his love for the Father, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember John the Baptist Baptist baptized him? It goes way back into John. He was filled with the Spirit, and he came to declare and demonstrate all that the Father said. Prayerfully, he did the will of God and was obedient, obedient to death, even death on the cross, to glorify the Father and to save us. That was the mind of Christ. So our prayers, the access that was gained by the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord of glory, that mind has to be in us. We are servants. Lou taught us a few weeks ago. We are servants. We are servants that are sent to do something. We abide in Christ so that we might have fruit. We we love Him so we obey Him that we might glorify Him. We are servants sent, filled with the Holy Spirit, to prayerfully declare and demonstrate all that Jesus has said, the Gospel. That Christ may be glorified and the Father glorified in the Son and save some. Our mission, our walk, our steps were done by Jesus. And now, through the Lord of glory, as He sends the Helper to us, the Holy Spirit 
we get to do the same thing. We get to glorify the Father. We get to be obedient in love. We get to preach and teach and demonstrate the gospel. And we get to do it because it should be our joy. Prayer increases joy. But like Jesus, prayer increases joy if we're praying correctly. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Confusion steals joy. Are you confused this morning? Are you confused about the eight or nine weeks we've been in the upper room? Are you confused at some of the things that we've learned? Are you confused about the love of God, the will of God, the plans of God in your life? Maybe you are. Like I said, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus first, and then you can come to the pastors. My son always says, God has a plan for my life. And he says it in that frustrating way. Yeah, God has a plan for all of our lives, but only he knows it. We don't. Are you confused about salvation? Are you confused about sanctification? Are you confused about eternal life? Or end times? Just know that this book, the words of God, is the only inspired, infallible, authoritative standard for our life. The rest you can work out. Is your sorrow turning to joy this morning? Has your sorrow over sin been replaced by joy of knowing God? I pray that there's someone here this morning, you've heard the gospel a hundred times, you got someone at home that's praying for you, but you just, you just don't want to turn from your sin. I pray that your sorrow about your sin and the Savior that loved you to pay for it would, would be changed this morning, and that the thing that caused you sorrow will be turned into your joy. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn while he is with him? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be, will be taken from them, And in that hour, they will fast. Are you sorrowful over the fact that the world is falling apart and that you want Jesus to come back? Peter tells us to hasten the day, to want, to long, to work for the day when Christ comes back. And your prayer, our prayers that increase joy. This morning... I want to challenge all of us. I, this sermon has challenged me because sometimes we, we, we don't pray as we should. In fact, the scriptures tell us that sometimes we don't even know how to pray like we should and the Holy Spirit prays for us. But there's, I want to challenge all of us. What are we seeking? What, we, we know what Jesus was seeking 
And it seems like uh, after the day of Pentecost, the disciples knew what they, they were sent. They knew what they had to do. And, and all the things that Jesus said to them had come true. Yeah, the world hated them. They won't shut up about this Jesus. Keep on preaching him in the resurrection. But what about us? Does the world hate us? They might hate us as Christians, but I mean individually. Are we enough of a witness that the world hates us, wants to throw us out, or may even want to kill us? I'm not saying to go to your job and be the biggest jerk in the world that everybody there wants to kill you. But are, are, we, are we praying that we might be that witness, that we might have that mind of Christ that is on the Father's business? Would you come looking for me for? I must be about my Father's business. Well, the Father's business for us is that, to preach and demonstrate the gospel everywhere, every day, wherever we go. And I know I'm not doing it. So I challenge us. Let's get rid of that confusion. Let's get rid of the worldly sorrow. And let's turn our prayers towards Jesus. Let's, let's pray for him to reveal himself to us, to manifest himself to us, and to fill us with his spirit that when we go out from here, like the disciples, in a very short time, it said they turned the world upside down. You want to know how they turned the world upside down? Because they weren't a part of the world anymore. They were, they were in this world, as Jesus said, but they were not of this world anymore. I feel sometimes my heart is way too much in this world. Let's pray. Father, and this morning I, I don't say that lightly because you taught me that coming to you cost you a great deal. That it cost your only son that we can come before you by the blood of Jesus, that we have a high priest that knows our weaknesses. And Father, I ask, you promised in your word that you would send your helper, your Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help me. And I pray if there are some of my brothers and sisters that agree that you would help them, Lord. Help us to know what it really means to be in your word, in your will, and doing those things that you told us to do. That we might be fruitful, Lord, and that that fruit might glorify you and, Lord, that our lives and our testimony and the words that we speak about Jesus might save others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.